Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn. And I'm Justin, and we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas. Where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ. Welcome back, folks. Today we have a special guest with us, the Reverend Rebecca Sparks, also known as Becky Sparks, who is a deacon in God's One Holy Catholic Apostolic Church, and she serves at Christ Episcopal Church in Temple, Texas. Becky, thank you for joining us today as we discover what it might mean to be a deacon as we look at the ordination to the diaconate, which I might add, uh, for all our listeners, Brent and I both were ordained deacons as well. So this is going to be a great conversation. Becky and I, we go way back. I actually used to be the rector at Christ Episcopal Church in Temple, Texas, and I got to watch Becky and be a part of Becky's ordination. So, Becky, thank you so much for being here today. How are you doing? Justin, I'm doing great, and it's so nice to be with you and with Bryn. And I do have to go and just start from the beginning. When you say the reverend, Becky Sparks. That always gets my attention and I start looking around to see who we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, titles have always been a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a difficult for me. As Justin knows, I've uh, retired this year after uh, working for over 33 years as a pilot for Southwest Airlines and also as a captain for a big part of that. But uh, one of the things, and this is a part of who I am, um, Southwest Airlines is that we call everybody by their first names, including our chairman of the board that we all loved, which was Herb and Colleen. And um, so titles really didn't um, mesh into it. We, you learned to do what you wanted, what you were going to do, and you learned to do your job and you had fun. So that's the kind of mentality that I sort of came into uh, the church stuff as well. Um, And if y'all don't mind, I'll just say a little bit about my story about becoming a deacon. Yeah, please. I can't wait to hear it. You you (laughs) teed it up so perfectly as you're a Southwest pilot and now everybody's wondering how how you do both of these things. So yeah, please share as you're you're willing to share your call story and and your kind of journey to, to this point. It was, um, it was not a road that I would have ever thought or chose uh, or even conceived. I was very happy for years. Um, in fact, I've been, I tell everybody, I've been a member of every denomination um, in between Catholic and, and Church of Christ. I've been a Presbyterian. I've been a Methodist. I've been a Baptist. I've been Assembly of God. I've done, you know, been a part of stuff. But what I am always drawn to is where I sense, and I guess it's just an internal sense of where um, I sense God working and speaking to me. And fortunately, years ago, uh, when I moved to Colleen to go to college, I got involved with Christ Episcopal Church because of the family that I was living with. And the liturgy, everything about the Episcopal Church just resonated deeply with me. And I went and did my job and raised a family and was very, very happy just to be um, going to church when I could and raising the family and doing the job and then doing other activities with the family. But uh, when we um, 
called Mother Janice Jones to St. Christopher's. That was the first woman priest I'd ever been around. So that was a different experience. But of course, I love her and love everything that she does. And one day she said, Becky, have you ever considered being a deacon? And I said, no, my dad was a deacon in the uh, in the Baptist church. No, no, I haven't. And went along my way. I knew that there was maybe something different about the deacon in the Episcopal church because I'd had a couple of men friends who had said that they felt that they were called to be a deacon. And I thought, well, okay, that's fine. I'm glad that you have a calling like that. She came to me a second time and said, now, Becky, have you really considered being this? And I looked at her and I said, why are you asking me this question? And she started telling me about what being a deacon involved and that a deacon was the person that represents the world to the church and represents the church to the world. And that resonated with me. I'd already been doing a lot of activities with the church, with the youth group, going on mission trips, um, got involved with a wonderful group, Honduras Good Works, where we go down to Honduras um, and have a medical brigade. And of course, I'm not a medical person, but there's a way to participate. And I had done, um, I was always interested in doing things outside. Um, so maybe the fact that that there was a way that you could do stuff liturgically and be involved in the community. So I started asking some people. And I know I asked my uh, former rector, Father Paul, um, if um, what he thought about that. And he looked at me and he said, well, wait a second, let me think about this. Becky Sparks with a collar. And I said, oh, no, do I have to wear a collar to do this? <laughs> That was that was something that I had to come to terms with, that there would really actually be something that would be um, put me in a clerical situation. Um, so I talked to a lot of people, including some great friends that I knew as deacons, um, Jan Halstead, Jerry Lyle, and um, just found that well, as Jan said, you know, we deacons just get to have a lot of fun. So I, um, I, I, and I agree, we do, because um, there's not a way that you can exactly say exactly what a deacon does in any different situation. Um, right now, the ministries I'm involved with would be Honduras Good Works to some degree. And then um, we have an area here in Temple that's the four, the quad, I call them, where we have um, agencies that are um, especially directed towards people struggling with needs and also with homelessness. And I'm very much involved with that. And um, then I will tell you, if, unless you have another question about my first experience, which was at a Christ church when I was doing my field work and Father Justin said, well, Becky, you've done what we needed you to do as far as trying to help us find out a way to be embracing with newcomers when they come to the church and setting up something like that. So what are you going to do next? And I said, well, I don't know. And I said, I'm thinking about just taking a walk down the street. And he said, well, why don't you go do that? So that's exactly what I did. And I went and found a church, um, Impact Church, that did a lot with the underprivileged and uh, got some fruit and we just went down and uh, the pastor there 
we went to different houses and just said, hey, would y'all like some fruit? Because it is um, an economically deprived part of Temple in that part. And then he said, you know, there's a person you need to meet. Her name is Dory. And from that is where I met Dory Collins of the Unincluded Club. And fast forward, we became a part of uh, the EHF Holy Currencies Program. And we've been involved with them for four years. And it's been a great, great experience. Um, and she's a she's an activist and she gets me into activities that I didn't think that I would be in. But you know what? It's been it's been great and very, very, very fulfilling. Was that let me because I have inside information. Yes. I want to draw a parallel in your story, which I'm so thankful you shared to the examination of a deacon in our in the service, uh, the ordination service. So. This is page 543 for folks who are following along in the prayer book, or if you're online, and just go to the ordination of a deacon, the examination. It says, as a deacon in the church, you are to study the Holy Scriptures, to seek nourishment from them, and to model your life upon them. You are to make Christ and his redemptive love known by your word and example. To those among whom you live and work and worship, you are to interpret to the church the needs, concerns, and hopes of the world. Now, Becky, here's what was powerful about uh, our conversations in Temple when you were newly ordained and even when you were uh, finishing up your uh, formal education and, and formation to be a deacon, which uh, looks very different for, for folks um, across different dioceses in the church here in Texas. Becky attended the Iona School for Ministry, uh, which is uh, staffed with uh, very intelligent folks that also usually work in uh, the Seminary of the Southwest along with some clergy around the diocese that teach. So Becky, what I, why I say that to say that all of us um, have been through some formal training and none of it's less or more than the other. Uh, it all fits our specific calling, which is one of the things that's beautiful about the church. So Becky, what you were just talking about was walking down the street. And to me, what you've done so well in modeling in your own way, what it means to be a deacon is interpreting the needs of and concerns of the world to the church. What you did and what you were always willing to do in, in the time that we shared together, uh, which of course we still have time together, but in that really uh, connected way at Christ Church Temple, is you found the needs and then you came back and talked to the church and then you rallied people. You rallied people to go and live the gospel out into the world. And that is one of the most symbolic ways that we act into our vocation as a deacon is understanding the gospel, uh, interpreting that as you, as you heard me read in the first part of the section that I read, interpreting study, and then bringing, uh, bringing those needs to light and bringing our gifts to bear on those needs. Uh, and Bryn, this was, gosh, I'm going to forget recently we quoted and this quote applies here. Um, your your gifts and your needs where they collide. Who, oh yeah, Frederick Beekner. Yeah, that vocation is where your deepest desire and the world's great need uh, intersect. Which Becky, I think, is why, and, and I, I would love for you to say just a little bit more about uh, the diaconate, how you knew you were called to be a deacon over the priesthood. Because I can say, as someone who's been watching. You seem so centered in that very reality that Beekner so eloquently says as a deacon that you bring to bear your gifts 
where there's great need and you bring others along. Um, but how did you know, if you don't mind me asking, how did you know that you were called to be a deacon versus discerning to become a priest or, you know, who knows uh, what, what, what kind of triggered that for you? Well, the thing that I think that that solidified it for me was the fact that uh, deacons do spend a lot of time in the world. And as um, I said before, um, when I was uh, a member of St. Christopher's, I was always doing things, but really interested in the things that I could be outside um, relating to the world that is around us. When we're as a deacon, the best way I like to rephrase it is we bring the world into the church and then we invite the church into the world. And that is something that has always resonated in my heart. That, and that's one of the reasons why lots of times you'll see a deacon standing at the back of the church to do the dismissal, because we are trying to get the church into the world because that's where God has his ministry. It's not anybody's particular ministry, but um, it is because we all, as people who worship a God that cares, a God that loves, we are all to be doing something special in this world around us. And to dovetail it back into things at Christ Church, one of the, it was just one of the really cool things that happened um, in the last few months, and that is uh, that I talked to one of the groups, and they said that um, churches touching lives for Christ is the group, and they get um, food from the um, Central Texas Food Bank. But one of the things that families like when they come through the drive-through that CTLC does, they said we just can't give them macaroni and cheese, and I said, well. Okay, let's see. So I came to my church and I thought, well, maybe we'll get about 500 boxes. So we asked for um, boxes of macaroni and cheese to be given by members of the church. And lo and behold, um, inspired by a little suggestion from Mother Janet, she said, why don't you just start a wall? So I thought, okay, let's try to get all the way to the top. Well, the top, the first time I built it, it fell down. So then I had to build it again with 2,433 boxes of macaroni and cheese wow. that we took to CTLC because that's what families love. That's what kids love is macaroni and cheese. And that was just a great experience. But to be with a church that wants to give makes a huge difference. Um, so I'm very, very, very fortunate in that respect, that I am part of a church that has giving as a part of its nature, of its, its DNA, and um, it just takes a little bit of um, effort, and we're out there doing stuff, and that probably is one of the most difficult things right now. I'm so excited we're coming out of the COVID restrictions because we've had to be a little bit more inward, and now the fact that we're getting back out into the world and um, representing and paying attention to the needs of the world, paying attention when somebody's talking. It's a ministry of presence that I've started to learn to be a little bit better in. And that's paying attention to the person that's sitting there talking to me and finding out who it is that they are and what their needs are and what their, what their desires and their connection that God is trying to perhaps reveal to them. And then also to be that kind of person 
when I'm back in the church. So I guess that's the one thing that I'm really spending time in right now in my own spiritual walk. Well, I would, I think there's probably a connection um, between having leadership that like you offer as a deacon and having a generous community. Um, You know, one of the things that you, you have uh, highlighted is that, you know, in, in your call to pay attention to the needs of the world, you, you have been able to bring those back to your community um, and encourage their generosity, but also give them opportunities for their generosity. I mean, I've been in, you know, several different congregational settings over the course of my life, and all of them have really wanted to be generous. I mean, I think people's um, nature in the church is that they want to serve and that they want to give, but they don't always know how to. And it strikes me with your um, with your story and the examples that you've given that one of the ministries and the real gifts that 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 a deacon can bring to a community is giving them the opportunities to serve, um, bringing those opportunities to them. Um, And then, as you said, that quote um, was really beautiful. Um, Then bringing, you know, bringing the needs of the world to the church and then bringing the, the church back out into the world and, and leading them. So that just seems like such an important role um, in, in being a deacon. Yes. And that, you know, one of the things that I've been greatly, um, um, I guess, just entranced with is the people that that have come up there in Christchurch. And they talked about, well, what is it to be a deacon? And I sort of explained it. And they said, well, I'm, I feel like I'm I'm called to do that. And I said, well, then I'm going to get you into doing some things. Some of them decided that, you know, because here in the Diocese of Texas, it's a three-year process, and some of them, because of their age or different things, said, well, maybe not the three years that, um, that I want to do. But, but what we can do is get those people that feel that sort of calling, that feel God working in them, they're, they're some of my great, great um, um, assistants. I wouldn't even call them assistants. They're just ones that I know I can rely on, and if they hear something, we'll, uh, we'll address that as well. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that you said early on in in your comments was uh, that you had a lot of fun being a deacon and that there was a lot of joy in it. And that just really comes across in hearing you talk about uh, your ministry and how you've, um, you know, how you've uh, pursued it. Uh, one of the things that that uh, that just strikes me in that quote by Frederick Beekner is and we've talked about this before. Um, you know, if 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 your vocation is where your greatest passion meets the world's great need, then you can you have to know what your passion is, and you have to be willing to follow it. And it sounds like you have done that; that you have enjoyed um, listening to God and following into these different ministries. And it sounds like you know, in your story of uh, walking down the street, you didn't know what you were going to find walking down the street, but, but you felt compelled to do it and you did it and God was preparing something for you. Um, do you find that to be sort of how things go for you? And what is it like for you to listen to God? Well, on a regular basis, 
it's what happens. In fact, I, I will just digress a little bit. It was hard to retire as a captain at Southwest and um, because I love that job. And if I if it had been up to me, I would continue. I would still be doing that um, that job. But uh, the bivocational deacon, you know, they say you're only supposed to work outside the church 20 hours a week. Well, we just sort of blow that out the window now because <laughs> I, I can do whatever I want to. I'm retired. But uh, regularly, I have a little discussion with God said, OK, I just feel like I'm not sure exactly what this day will hold. And I still ask you to be the one that will lead me to the places and to the opportunities that you um, have planned where there are lives that we can grow together. And I'd always um, want to be a part of somebody that I can grow together in their experience and in our experience together. And, you know, every day I have to say is something of a dimension. I say, well, she was God, you did show up just right here. And I'll just go ahead and, and elaborate. I went through a really hard divorce year, years ago. And um, in the difficulty of, of that experience, I did learn every day to wake up and say, okay, God, I have a lot of things I have to get done. I have a job, I have family, I have other things that, you know, are tagging that I must um, pay attention to as well. So I want to, with your permission, we'll get done together the things that, that you intend for me to get done this day. And so that's been a habit of mine for a long, long time. And it's one that I find is even more part of my life now. Uh-huh. And I think if, if I may, I'm going to just plant uh, in, in light of our last episode, Capital T Tradition, to plant Becky in this long traditional line of deacons that goes all the way back. Uh, tr- historically, what we tend to look at is a section of Acts chapter six, Thanks, where um, the apostles were looking for folks um, to do more than just wait on the table. Um, they wanted folks to really live out the gospel and they were trying to spread the good news. So they pick a person by the name of Stephen um, and Stephen, along with Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas from Antioch, um, all become essentially the first deacons in the church. Um, And from that line, now Stephen is martyred. Um, Maybe our listeners um, will remember that Stephen was stoned um, to death. Horrific way to go. Doing the very thing that he was called to do. But when you trace that line down, as, as Bertie talked about last week, this capital T tradition, as you trace that line down, you see the early church and, and then as the church develops, the, the role of the deacon takes on even more of an outward uh, ministerial aspect that Becky obviously has been sharing and embodies. But there's also something inside the church that develops uh, fairly early on, and that is the liturgical role or the role in worship of the deacon, mm-hmm. which is very symbolic of much of what Becky's already talked about. So one of those things, well, I'm going to let Becky tell you, Becky, what are the, the big things that deacons do in, in, in worship? What are the things that are set aside in the roles that are very important for the deacon? 
Well, for the deacon, um, one of the first things that we do is we have the prayers of the people. And that's, um, that is because we are speaking the needs together. And I'm not setting myself apart from that. But speaking to God and listening to God with the, with the uh, request and the responses all the way through. The, uh, the, big, um, the next big thing that the deacon does is set the table and make the table ready for um, the life that will be presented to the congregation in the symbolism that will be uh, of the body of Christ. And um, so that's a great touching experience for me every time. And to make sure that the liturgy, it goes through, um, especially in that with, um, with the meaning. And sometimes, you know, with <laughs> when we're doing, when we're doing the outside service, we have had the host to just take off and fly away, but still there is that meaning that is there because that's where we come together um, symbolically to be fed every time by the God who cares for us in such a way that he does offer and Jesus offers himself. And then at the end of the service, we get to do the thing that, of course, we all love, which is do the dismissal. And I'm allowed to do the alleluia a little bit more than um, than is liturgically acceptable in different times of the year. But it's alleluia, alleluia. Let us go into the world rejoicing in the power of the spirit. And there is something still that just resonates so deeply with me is that, you know, we have been, we have come together. We have been together to experience worship. We have been fed. And now we are going out to be the ministers that we are all called to be. I think that the dismissal and the processing, which is something we've been able to bring back in this kind of time of COVID and, and trying to do things safely that for me personally have reconnected. So I serve at St. Luke's. We have two priests. We do not, the Bishop is not assigned a deacon. I'm going to come back to that statement in a minute. Uh, we do not have a deacon currently present. We actually have one in, uh, that's in training uh, who went through the discernment process here, who is at the Iona school of ministry at for their first year. So a couple more years, we'll see uh, if the Bishop assigns them to St. Luke's or, or wherever there's the need in the church that the Bishop sees, um, which I guess I'll go ahead and say that now. One of the things that makes deacons very unique is that they work uh, at the leisure of the Bishop. In other words, the Bishop can move deacons around where the chief pastor who is the Bishop sees needs in the diocese. And, and I know in my home diocese of Georgia, when I was, when I was in seminary, there were a couple communities that were uh, a couple counties in South Georgia that were in desperate need. There was a couple of th businesses that shuttered um, in an ag very agricultural area. So the Bishop took pretty much every single deacon that was around those two counties and sent them, took them out of their churches. They'd been serving some for several years and sent them into those two counties to help the church identify the needs. And so that we could respond as a diocese it was quite powerful, quite yeah. powerful work uh, in the diocese of Georgia at that particular time. And that was what the deacons did. They may have loved the parishes they were serving, but they all knew. And it's also in that same examination 
being obedient to your bishop when your bishop calls, you go. Uh, and trusting that call and trusting that that direction uh, from the pastor of the diocese. Um, and they and they all went and they're really powerful ministries developed from that. Uh, what was not a very long period of time, it was uh, ended up being about uh, probably a total of six months. And then everybody was dispersed pretty much almost back to where they came from. But it developed those deacons working together and working in concert with their bishop developed some powerful ministries out into the world in that particular area where there was dire needs. Now, the things that have come back to me is I love reciting the dismissal. I love even reminding myself that this outward projection of the gospel. The second thing I love that takes me back to my time, uh, I'm technically still a deacon, but when I was just a deacon and not a priest, one of the things that I always loved was carrying the gospel book in the gospel procession out into the congregation. Yes. Because that, that liturgical symbol was the very reality of what we're called to as deacons to carry the gospel out into the world, to bring and to bring people with you. So we just got to bring that back at St. Luke's and I've loved every minute of it. I love being able to carry the gospel book back out uh, into the people and it reminds us, I mean, I like to think everybody's sitting in the pews of every church I've served and it thinks the exact same way I do that this is what it's all about. Bring the gospel out into the world to where, as you so eloquently said, Becky, God is moving and working and we partner with that and we listen and our deacons are called in this special place of listening, maybe even harder than we are to listen for those needs. And this liturgical gesture, this liturgical movement is a reminder to us that these deacons are carrying the gospel out into the world. And I love it because it keeps everything so missional, which the Episcopal church in many ways is a very missional oriented church has been uh, since the beginning. And that's part of our Anglican heritage. It's that's why uh, the dismissal is that way. We, we've done this work together and we talked about this in prior episodes related to the Eucharist. We've done this work. We've gathered around the table, very important, reconnected, reconnected with one another. And then at the very last thing we hear, the absolute last thing we hear is a very missional statement to go out into the world, to love and serve the Lord, rejoice in the power of the spirit, go forth in the name of Christ. There is a, a movement, a procession uh, that the dismissal is meant to launch for us. And that is when appropriate and when applicable, when a deacon is present, spoken by a deacon who is going to do that very thing, who is going to literally do that very thing. Uh, and invite us and encourage us, as Becky has shared so many uh, personal stories from Temple, Texas, where she serves, of doing that very thing. So it's powerful. And for me, these there's still these powerful connections um, to my ordination as a deacon that I still, to this day, still feel, um, still very missionally minded uh, in my ministry. Um, so it's, it's powerful. Bryn, what about you? What, what, is there anything in, in your ministry in particular that comes back that, that when you were ordained a deacon, and even to this day, there's parts of that that resonate with you that still come back to life in a very powerful way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think the two things, one, proclaiming the gospel. And uh, I like that that's the, the language we use around it, too, is that you proclaim the gospel. You don't just read the gospel. Um, but we proclaim it to other people. Um, and I still, 
Um, you know, when I've been in churches that have a deacon, I love, love, love serving with a deacon. But when there isn't and the priest is the one who reads the gospel, I really love getting to to do that, um, to proclaim the gospel. Um, and then setting the table. I I think, you know, presiding over the over the table, the Eucharistic table with, um, you know, is is such a. Um, such a privilege to participate in, but the act of setting the table is something that I really, truly enjoy. Um, I like putting the vessels on the table. I like pouring the the wine into the chalice. I, I just, I really love doing that work. Um, so, so I'm grateful to still be able to get to do those things as a priest. And Becky, I've, I've got a, a sort of, I know we're, we're wrapping up here, but have a, a kind of final question um, uh, or maybe Justin has something else, but uh, as we're getting close to the end, would love for you to just say a couple of words about, um, you know, if there was somebody listening to this podcast who is thinking about the diaconate and thinking about, you know, maybe, maybe wondering if God could be calling them to ordained ministry in the church and considering something like the diaconate, um, what would you say to them? What would you, uh, what kind of advice might you give to somebody at the beginning of their discernment? One of the first things I would do is to pay attention to what um, the, what you're hearing from God and then ask God to open up some ways for you to explore that Further, in the um, in the diocese of Texas, uh, you know, you perhaps might want to start with your priest or with somebody that you know is a deacon. But even if you don't have anybody that you um, feel comfortable, perhaps revealing that the the our our diocese is so good about saying you can go to a number of places and the discovery retreat is probably the best thing that we have. And now that we've geared it back up again. Um, it is, it's just a great way to go and say, well, is it, do I have a calling? Is it as, um, is it as a priest? Is it as a deacon? Maybe my calling is to be some sort of liturgical minister, but the whole discovery retreat is, is designed to help people, you know, maybe find a place, um, in the formal church, but also to strengthen their skills that they may be out in um, the, the duties, the things that they're doing in the world. The Iona School is, I cannot say enough about the Iona School. It was just such a, even though those tests were hard, the, uh, but to have the, uh, to have the uh, professors who were, for the most part, um, ordained and very gifted um, teachers from some of most of them from the seminary, the Southwest, but to come and and spend that time with us. And then to find somebody that is a deacon that maybe is doing the um, things that you might be interested in and talk to that person. I think that's one of the things that everybody will find in a deacon is they probably are open. And I am going to say thank you, Justin, and thank you, Bryn, for reminding me out of my nervousness, but yes, reading that gospel and getting to say the things that God wants us all to hear is, is, is a great part of what I treasure as well. I knew you loved that. I knew yeah. you loved that. Yes. I knew something we had shared um, 
because I think I had told you once in Temple that I'm misreading the gospel. Like I must be able to do that. Uh, yeah. But I love that you were doing it. Um, well, Becky, I think that's a good spot to leave it because uh, by talking about mentioning the discovery retreat and listening and talking to your priest next week, we're going to have Francine Young, the Reverend Francine Young, as we talk about the ordination to the priesthood, but she's also going to bring to bear on our conversation her work with the Commission on Ministry and the discernment process, particularly in the Diocese of Texas. And I think that's going to be a good, uh, thank you, Becky. I think that's going to be a good transition to, for that conversation to kind of pick up where we've left off today. But Becky, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, we are so delighted to have you. I'm so delighted to be part of here and to be involved with so many of the wonderful people that I get to be involved with. Thank you. Now, I will put Becky's email in our show notes, um, and if you're looking for her, she is at Christ Episcopal Church in Temple, Texas. If you're around that area, I highly recommend emailing her and having a chance to visit with her. She's a remarkable deacon in the church, a remarkable human being, one of the beautiful children of God who is sharing their gifts with the world. So don't miss that opportunity, and uh, please, as we always say, email us if you have any questions or things you want us to explore on future episodes. Have a great rest of your week. Lit is a production of the Reverend Bryn Bond and Justin Yon, Episcopal Priest in Austin, Texas. Music is provided by Alitu. We encourage you and invite you to send your questions to us via the emails you'll find in the show notes below. We will ask, uh, answer them on air at a future date, and we so appreciate your listenership.